0: Good morning everybody welcome to episode 267 of the podcast it's jessica so glad you're tuning into this friday episode if you are listening to this on the heels of having a long night of being awake with a baby or a toddler with sleeping issues you're gonna be glad you are listening my guest today is marietta Paxson. she's a sleep expert and she's gonna share not only her motherhood journey And with that, also, the mental health struggles that she had postpartum that were exacerbated by sleep deprivation. After she went through that experience, she knew she needed to come up with some solutions for her baby so that she could get better sleep, they could get better sleep, and everybody could be happier. So we're talking about all of her best strategies for getting your babies to sleep through the night. She talks about the main pitfalls that people fall into. I know that I have enabled my kids to not sleep through the night um, in the past, and When you know better, you do better. So I hope this is definitely applicable to some of you listening who could really use a good night's sleep. I wanted to take just one quick second to thank all the people that have been sharing the show. I love it when you tag me, when you screenshot the episodes you're listening to, when you share them with your friends who might benefit from these topics. You guys, we need each other. We need to be inspired by one another. We need to learn from each other's challenges and see there's other people that have gone to the other side of some of these journeys that we're all on as moms. It's really encouraging, so I just want to thank you. All right, let's get to it with Marietta Paxson. All right, I'm thrilled to be welcoming Marietta Paxson today. Hey, Marietta.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you are also a podcast listener.
1: Yes, I love your podcast and I love, I just love hearing the different mom stories, especially the ordinary ones. Yeah. I love. Just the ordinary mom that lives around the corner from me or, you know, whoever it might be.
0: Yeah, I feel like that too. And there's just so many unsung heroes in this world just day in and day out serving their families, doing like really extraordinary things amidst really sometimes very challenging circumstances. And I am so glad to give them a platform to share their story so we can all be encouraged. I've learned so much as well. Oh, yes, definitely. So fun. Well, I'm really excited to hear more about your motherhood journey and also the area of expertise that you have grown into in these last few years, um, which is sleep. And that's going to just make everybody's day that we're covering the sleep topic because it is a struggle for so many, including myself. So I'm excited to dive more into that. But first, will you just give a little background on yourself and your family? Uh,
1: Absolutely. So I am... Originally, I started out, I guess, as a marriage and family therapist um, before I got married even, and I, as a therapist, I specialize in postpartum and women's issues as well as parenting with young children. I kind of stay on the children's side, not not into the teenagers. Um, And then, as I got married and as I started having children, I always knew that sleep was important, and I saw it with my clients, but I didn't quite understand it well enough at that point, and as I began my own family with babies and whatnot, sleep was a number one priority, not just for them, but for me, and now I have three children. I have an almost five-year-old and two-year-old twins, or sorry, three-year-old twins, two (laughs) of them, and they are three, Um, and I feel like I've experienced every possible sleep situation out there. So um, now I get to help other families also sleep better.
0: Amazing. What a gift. It's the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? (laughs) And so I do have a question about being a marriage and family therapist and working with parents prior to having kids and even prior to being married. How has your practice kind of shifted now that you have the perspective of actually having the experience of parenting are you a different therapist than you were before?
1: Um, Good question. Yes and no. I mean, I remember being single and doing marital therapy, and I would have clients come in and say, well, but you're not married. And I'm like, you're right, I'm not. Right. And I've never had a drug addiction. I've never been... Um, you know, suicidal. And so there are certain things where it's like, I've never been a lot of these things that I'm Mm. treating and helping for. Um, And as soon as I phrased it like that, they were like, oh yeah, I guess you probably have only experienced, you know, a small amount of what you actually help with. But um, the principles that you're helping in any situation kind of go across the board. So this, I would say the same for like parenting. Um, I helped, yes, and, and it was good before, But being a parent and being married at any of those things, experiencing it is obviously just going to open your eyes even more to it where you have a deeper level of understanding than you would before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was a teacher before. And my perception of assigning homework or projects or things like that that actually required probably a lot of parent intervention now that I'm a parent and I realize how much of a struggle outside homework can be I would have a completely different perspective now assigning those types of things and I would assign very different things, knowing yes. all the complexities of what goes on after school and after a child has been you know, busy and gone all day long and then they come home and they have other things. So um, yeah, just the empathy that goes into, I've walked where you walk. And sure, there's things that we will never experience that somebody else has experienced and we can he- still help them have insights and, and and help through those things as well. But I think it is really great to hear from somebody that has walked where you've walked as well. I think that's powerful.
1: Oh, it's so powerful. And there's just, like you said, there's that level of empathy or understanding that can't be matched by someone who hasn't been there where you've been. So, yeah. so yeah, it's definitely an added level for sure
0: yeah because it's one thing to say okay let your baby cry it out but if you've never actually endured a night of crying it out you have no idea
1: (laughs) right well and like um yeah so for example my my first was a great sleeper we had some problems maybe we'll get into that later but um he was overall a really great sleeper with minimal intervention from me and i just thought i was a really good parent i just (laughs) thought i totally understand sleep like I've got this and so when I had twins and I would get advice from people and I'm like, Yeah, but I already know what I'm doing. (laughs) So I just had my twins and I just I just sank. I sank hard and I sank fast and I learned that I really didn't know what I thought I knew and it got to the point where, you know, I was sleep deprived, they were sleep deprived and we were really, really struggling. And so yeah, I had to do some serious sleep training and we'll probably get into what Uh I had to do, but I did some serious sleep training and it was really hard. And now when I work with my clients, I have been there. I know exactly what it's like on night one or day one or what that looks like and how hard it is. And to be able to support them through that is just, I just love it so much.
0: Well, and you're the true test because you did it with two babies at once. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a miracle.
1: No, it, it is a miracle. It I agree really with you there because it was, it was tough for sure. Yes. I can't
0: wait to hear what you did. But you also mentioned to me that early motherhood was not an easy road for you. You experienced your own mental health challenges and things like that. Can you tell me a little bit about that time in your life and how it manifested itself for you?
1: Yeah, so I think, um, well, I think I've always had anxiety. I think I, Have just always managed it well. I've never, I don't even think I ever put that name to it until Mm. I was maybe in college going, like getting my master's in marriage and family therapy. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I think I have a little bit of anxiety. Um, So I've always had that. And when I had my first son, I think I walked into motherhood with this expectation that it would be so fulfilling that I wouldn't need anything else. And that, it took me a good, two years. It took until my twins were born for me to really identify that and figure out how to change that so that, and understand that motherhood can be the best thing and I can love it so much and I would, I love my children so much and they are worth everything and I would give my life for them and I cannot feel fulfilled from it, if that Mm. makes sense. So that was, that was a learning process. I don't know that with my first, I experienced too much postpartum anxiety Um, But after my twins, my anxiety just went up through the roof. And I think a lot of it came down to sleep because at one point I was getting, I mean, I don't even remember the first three months of their life because sleep was so sporadic, but you kind of just expect that. And we had support and help in that time. Mm -hmm. So we were able to get through that. And then from about months three to months five, they were sleeping okay and I was doing okay. And then at five months they started to regress. And for about three, two to three months, maybe it was six months when they started to regress, but right around there, um, their sleep regressed so much that I was getting maybe four hours of staggered sleep per night. I would get up so frequently with them, and then I was so sleep-deprived and so exhausted that when I would go back to sleep, it would take me like... 30 minutes to fall back asleep. And when you're getting up every hour, like you don't have 30 minutes. Like, so my anxiety in not being able to fall asleep, like I'd get mad and I'd get frustrated with myself. And I'd be like, if I don't sleep now, I'm never going to sleep. And I'd be on the verge of tears all the time because I was just so, so exhausted. And so for me, I really think my anxiety became unmanageable when my sleep wasn't there. That was so foundational for my overall health and how I was feeling.
0: Right. And so when you know, though that this is probably not going to be a quick fix. You're probably projecting out into the future that you're never going to sleep again. And so that's, you know, like you said, perpetuating the anxiety. How do you curb that when you're in the midst of it? What proactively did you do?
1: Good question. So I, um, yeah, I was exactly like you were describing. I was feeling very hopeless. Like I'm never going to be able to sleep and everything that I thought I knew about sleep, i had obviously tried and, Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't working with my twins. And so I I was in this hopeless place. I was grumpy. I was numb. I couldn't even live my day when it wasn't around sleep because I was so anxious and preoccupied about getting sleep so I could feel better. And um, I, yeah, I was just, I was hopeless. And that is when I tried. I finally at that point said, okay, I I hadn't been a mom. I've cried out before then. I didn't necessarily... Think it would be harmful. I just thought it would be hard. Mm -hmm. Like, do they really need to cry it out to sleep? And I got to a point where I was like, I don't even care. I don't even care if it's harmful because this is harmful. Like, what we are experiencing is harmful. Mm. And so I tried to cry it out, but here's the thing I didn't really know what I was doing and it didn't work because I didn't implement it right. And then it was a whole nother, like, oh my word, again, hopeless. This is never going to be able to be fixed. How am I going to survive this? Just completely breaking. And I don't know. I just had this moment. At that, at my lowest point, I just had this moment of, um, no, like I just fought back and I said, no, this isn't okay. Like sleep, sleep should happen. It needs to be better than this. And there needs to be better information out there. And so that I just, I'm a do it yourselfer I guess, and mm-hmm. I just, I spent every possible second on my computer. I thought I'm a marriage and family therapist. I understand parenting principles. I just need to transfer those over to sleep. I did research. I read everything out there. I mean, I was... I had it was nice because it gave me a purpose, whereas before I was just so lost and distracted and numb and I couldn't cope and it gave me something to focus on so once i once I decided that I was going to find the answer and that I wouldn't let there not be a solution that I knew there had to be a solution out there, I got to work, I created my first uh, sleep training plan for my twins, my first official sleep training plan for my twins because I thought if I'm going to do this. I have to be consistent because I know how important that is in parenting. And so I had an entire plan. I wrote it up um, and I did it with my twins. I, I officially started at eight months and my daughter, cause I have a boy-girl twin, so my daughter started sleeping through the night uh, within, I want to say like two weeks later or three weeks, later, it was very quickly. She, really? she dropped all of her feeds, and I was still open to keeping some feeds at night. I just needed more sleep. Yeah. Um, but she started sleeping through the night right away and my son took a little bit longer to drop his last feed. but by 10 months he was sleeping through the night completely. And it changed me completely. I was a completely different person <laughs> with sleep.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Okay. So what age is reasonable to start sleep training of any kind?
1: Good question. Yeah. So I, I personally won't do sleep training with a client unless their child is at least 16 weeks adjusted. So still pretty young though, you can start sleep training. Um, And with my twins, actually, I didn't know this, but I had started out really well at about three months. I had trained them to go to sleep with the swaddle and the binky all on their own. So I was in a good place from you know three to five or six months where I'd swaddle them, I put their minky in, I put them in their beds, and I'd leave their room, and they would fall right asleep, and I was super happy about that. What I didn't know is that at four months or later, sometimes sometimes it's four months, sometimes it's six, sometimes it's nine months. But at some point in your child's life, their sleep will no longer be helped by that swaddle and that binky, and it will start to hurt their sleep. And so when that happened for my kids, I didn't know what to do. I didn't understand that oh, I need to take these aids away from them mm-hmm. the, the binky and the swaddle, swaddling you take those away so that they can then sleep better throughout the night so anywhere from four months on again it doesn't always have to be four months and I help families anywhere from four months up to you know three or four years figure out how to do this um but four months is the youngest
0: Yeah. So what do you think about sleep aids? Like especially a pacifier before they're to the age where they can find their own pacifier and put it back in their mouth. It seems like way more work for the parent when that thing pops out of their mouth and then they wake up and then you're starting all over again. What do you think about those types of things?
1: So the binky is a great one because the binky is awesome from zero to four months. And that's why sleep is so tricky with babies because I'm often talking about, well, the rules for sleep between zero and four months is very different from the rules for sleep from four months on. Okay. So from zero to four months, that binky is not only going to help the child soothe to sleep, it's also going to decrease the chance of SIDS and help them stay well rested. A, A newborn who falls asleep with their binky, it doesn't mean that they need that binky constantly reinserted in their mouth. Now sometimes they might, or they might like wrestle around, and you might give it to them. But it really starts to hurt after four months when what's happening is your child, and we'll use my twins as an example, my, my twins were falling asleep, swaddled and with the binky in their mouth. And I thought that was great. And I thought that they should be able to sleep through the night with that because... That's what my oldest did. My oldest was a great sleeper and he was swaddled and had a binky for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I thought that it would work for them. And I didn't think that there was a problem with that. But what happens is the child falls asleep with those things in the middle of the night. The binky's not in their mouth and they go through a sleep transition. And when they go through that sleep transition, they are coming out of one sleep cycle and into the next one. And they don't have to wake up completely, but they're in a very light sleep cycle and they might wake completely. And if the situation, if the circumstances are exactly the same as the beginning of the night, a baby can often make that transition without any assistance. But what was happening with my twins is they were getting to that transition and they were saying, oh, wait, I don't have my binky. I'm not sucking on any anything and I don't know how to get back into a deep sleep without sucking. So I will cry now. And I got real lucky here because not only did my twins cry for their binky and I would go in and try to give it to them, but then they knew, oh, wait, I don't want my binky. You're here, Mom. I -hmm. really like you. I'd rather just suck and eat, and that would be a lot better. So they were refusing the binky in the middle of the night. That's one of the reasons why I didn't think it was a problem, but
0: Hmm. it was. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, just speaking specifically on post-four months, so that next phase where you can expect them to sleep more regularly and consistently, is I hear from a lot of my friends, their bedtime routine and getting their child to sleep is so hard and they're rocking for an hour and a half until their child's asleep and then they're hoping to make the transfer and then they don't transfer and then they start again. Tell me about putting your child to sleep. How, like what, what would you tell a mom that is struggling with just that first act of putting them into the bed?
1: Okay, great question. Again, it's going to be different for, you know, younger than four months and older than four months. So okay. really quick, younger than four months my biggest thing that I tell parents is your child just needs sleep the better well rested they are the easier it's going to be to take away those sleep aids at some point and they need those sleep aids before four months so keep doing what you're doing get them well rested all of that once they're over four months I still think it's important and the transition will be a lot easier if they're if they are well rested and it's kind of like a balance because okay, I'm trying to use these sleep aids to get them well rested. But if those sleep aids aren't working anymore, I don't know that, you know, it's really hard to get them well rested because they don't have, they don't know how to sleep. Mm -hmm. So at some point, yes, you are just letting your child fall asleep in their crib or wherever they're going to sleep with the same conditions at the beginning of the night that they will have the rest of the night so that they can sleep as long as possible. And a big, Indicator of success here is going to be again. I'll go back to the overtiredness if you are trying to rock your child to sleep or Even let them fall asleep on their own and they are overtired or their bedtimes too late or their naps are off or something like that Then they are going to struggle to be able to do it But Mm -hmm. if you can put them down in their crib just at the right time where you know that they're getting enough sleep and it's time for them to fall asleep and they don't have to get fussy and ornery they very well may fall asleep with very minimal fussing and be able to to do that on their own in their crib. Yeah. Now, not every child, I mean, I have stories I could tell you where that's not the case and it's very hard and um, parents are really being tested through, you know, these two weeks that I work with them to get their child sleeping on their own. But it's, it's not, those are not the normal cases. Those are, you know, your 15% or 10% of families that I work with. Whereas the other families are really, it's easier than they expected it would be.
0: Yeah. I've <laughs> always read that you should put your child down awake. Is it, So is that right? Like you shouldn't need to try and attempt the transfer.
1: Exactly. Yes. Okay. You're laying them in their crib completely awake. And I even recommend not drowsy. Okay. I don't even want to and, – and and you can work up to that. I'm not saying you have to do that right when they're 16 weeks in their crib awake. Like, you can work up to that. There's gradual ways that you can get there. Um, but, yes, in their crib, I, I tell my clients, awake, happy, and alert because I want them doing the entire process on their own.
0: Okay. And then are you saying something to the child? Are you – you know, once you walk out, if they start crying immediately – how how long, just like the very basic first steps. I know everything is case by case, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, great. So obviously before we lay them down, having a really good bedtime routine is so important because all of those things are going to cue your child in that it's time to sleep. And before you start sleep training, having a good routine is so important because they're getting those, those cues that it's time to sleep. So you're kind of just changing one thing where instead of rocking them to sleep, you're laying them in their crib, right? Mm-hmm. Once you leave the room, and I even – Yes, I like to have my clients say key phrases or something, just again, those cues to tell them it's time to sleep. So, you know, night night, I love you, I'll see you in the morning or I'll see you after nap time, anything like that, just super consistent in what you say. You leave the room and yes, it depends on what sleep training method you choose. So most most of the clients that come to me are really exhausted at this point and they need help quickly. And so most of my clients do some form of cry it out whether it's, you know, traditional cried out, no checks, you shut the door and you don't go back in until it's time to eat or in the morning. Um, but I also have plans where you can do checks where you go in and talk to your child or where you go in and pick up your child and put them back down after you've calmed them down. So those are all just modified cried out approaches. And I have plans where the parent sits in the room with the child. A lot of times if you have like a three-year-old that's co-sleeping or something, we'll do the parents there and we gradually wean away. But to answer your question, because I tend to just talk a (laughs) lot and get carried away. So to go back to your question, once you leave that room, I tell my clients to wait at least 15 minutes. You'll see a lot of plans out there that are saying five or 10 minutes. Again, depending on the age of the child, what sleep aids they have, it's all negotiable. But my general rule of thumb is about 15 minutes because I've found that even in the middle of the night when a sleep-trained child wakes up, it takes them about 15 minutes to wake up fully, orient themselves, fuss, maybe fuss a little bit, and be able to soothe themselves back to sleep on their own. And that's assuming, you know, oh, you know, they're sleep-trained, they're falling asleep with the same conditions as the beginning of the night, they don't need to eat, and different things like that. So I like to wait 15 minutes to see that process happen out. Mm -hmm. But I'm also telling my clients to look, we're not just using time. We're also using, okay, well, what is our child doing? Where is their cry up? Is their cry intensifying or, or de-escalating? That tells us a lot about is the child able to self-soothe at all? Are they struggling? Are their cries, protest cries, or are they just confused or they're not sure what to do? And then we try to use our checks to progress in our in our sleep training abilities as opposed to do any type of regressing. I don't want any checks to delay the process at all.
0: Mm-hmm. I think what's so great about your approach is that you are really we- willing to hear out, you know, what the parent's comfortable with and what works for them and things are not just like a drill sergeant and being like, nope, you can't go in, you can't help your child. I like that you are taking a more loving, thoughtful approach to what what feels good to you and what can you work with. But I'm sure you also see things that parents do every day that are just enabling the child to continue the bad habits and not making progress and actually regressing. So, can you just identify one or two of those things that you see p- parents doing wrong that even just by not doing those things could help?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think here's the thing that I just want to preface this with because. I don't want any moms to feel bad because they're doing the wrong thing. And that's one of the things I try really hard working with clients or, you know, if you follow me on social media, like I'm never going to get mad at you for doing something because (laughs) I get it. We're all moms. We all know that like in that moment of desperation, you don't really care. You just want to sleep or you want your child to stop crying. And like, there's nothing that you can do bad enough that we can't turn around or fix or grow from. So so know that, first of all. Second of all, know that I've probably done all of these things as well. So Me too. No, no shame, no guilt here at all. Me too. Um, but one of, so yes, my, a couple things. One is, again, I'll go back to that, to that overtiredness. Whether it's, um, I'll have, I'll see a lot of kids that come in that are, that are not getting enough sleep coming in. And, and that could look like a million things they could be taking. And it may, it may not be the parent's fault, but they're just overtired. They're not getting enough sleep at night. They might not getting good daytime naps or whatever's going on. And a lot of parents will resist me when I tell them, okay, we need to start working towards 12 hours of sleep at night. And it's like, oh no, my child is not going to sleep that long. Or I can't put my child to bed that early. It won't work out. And there's a lot of resistance there. And so I, I just try to explain, you know, why and why that's important and what's going to happen. And that's probably one of the biggest things that parents will resist me on is like, no, we can't do that. And so even though I give them this recommendation of, okay, let's do bedtime at seven, you know, it gets pushed back to 7.30 and that 30 minutes can make a huge difference in how easily or hard that child is going to be able to fall asleep at night. So that's, that's a big one. Um, a lot of times parents will do will kind of get weak, and I totally get it because we've all been there, right, in those mm-hmm. early morning hours, like 2 to to 5, like you're just so tired, you don't even care, so that's when, um, when I'm working with them, they'll say, I was just so tired at 3, and I just brought them into bed with me, yep. or I just nursed them, and I'm like, okay, great, it's okay, it really is okay. Did it help? No, because maybe for whatever plan we're doing, they've already had enough feeds, or if their reward is getting brought into mom and dad's bed, Then when they get brought into mom and dad's bed, it reinforces them of waking up and throwing that fit and doing all of that. So we've got to be thinking about what are the message we're sending our child, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, my child's waking up and they're coming into my room. And when I pull them into bed with me, I'm saying, yes, when you wake up and throw a fit, I will reward you by letting you come into bed with me. And instead we want to be sending like positively reinforcing the good things and kind of ignoring and minimizing the... Um, the negative behaviors that we don't want. But at, between 2 and 5 in the morning, that's a lot easier said than done.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I have a 3-year-old who is doing the wake up at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, walk in, I'm awake, mom. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, ah, and then I pull him into bed. Like we are living yeah. this right this second. So tell me how to fix it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, good. Well, I already told you that. Um, Every time that you pull him into bed, you are positively rewarding that behavior, right? So it's just helping him to keep doing it. Totally. So it's hard because as a parent, you have to get to a place where you're ready to sacrifice a little bit of sleep now to get better sleep later, right? So you have to wake up, you have to get out of your bed, and you have to take him back to his bed. And you have to say something like, hey, mommy sleeps in her bed, you sleep in your bed, and it's still nighttime, it's time to sleep, so you need to go back in your bed. Now, that's like, assuming it's like an easy case, walking him back to his bed and putting him in his bed will be enough to get him to fall asleep. I mean, I've had cases where it's not been easy, or my favorite ones, or maybe least favorite ones, are when the Mm -hmm. child is coming in and not waking the mom up and sneaking into the bed, and I'm like, oh no, okay, well. And we'll explore ways to say, you have to wake up like that, has to happen the child isn't going to change their behavior you have to help them change it so taking him back to his bed again not giving not rewarding him for waking up but just telling him it's time to sleep you're in your bed I'm in my bed and being consistent with that
0: okay and so then if he follows me out again just walking him back and saying the Mm -hmm. same exact thing and so not giving more attention but just having that rote thing that you know you always say and walking them back as many times as they need to
1: Yes. Now okay. tell me you said he's three, is that yep. right?
0: Yep, he just turned three.
1: Okay, so at that age I I like to do a couple other things that are motivating for them because at that age he's old enough to kind of understand. You can have talks with him before and say, Hey, I know you've been sleeping in mom's bed, but guess what? Your bed is for you to sleep in and mommy's bed is for her to sleep in. So now you're gonna sleep in your bed and I'm gonna sleep in my bed. And look at this fun chart I just made. And it's a sticker chart. And every time that you sleep all night in your bed, notice how I did not say, don't wake up. Right. But every, every night that you sleep the whole night in your bed and you don't sleep in mommy's bed, you get a sticker or you get a treat in the morning. And when you Mm -hmm. get this many stickers, you get a date with mom or, you know, whatever you want to do, but something that's motivating, that's exciting for him. And So that he's motivated to do it. And you've already talked about it. So that when he wakes up, you can say, okay, it's time to sleep in your bed. Remember, you sleep in your bed. Mommy sleeps in her bed. And I want you to get your sticker in the morning. So let's go to your bed. Now, with my three-year-old, I have a three-year-old who likes to test boundaries a lot, with my twins. And he will come at the beginning of the night. He will come out of his room a lot. You can do this at the beginning of the night and in the middle of the night. But you can, I tell him, I say, listen, it's time to sleep and you need to stay in your room. And I, you can say I'm super mean or you can say I'm really consistent, but I don't give a lot of warnings for him because I found that when I say, okay, please stay in your room. And he comes out and I say, that's your warning. If you do it again, I'm going to shut your door. He always comes out because I've just told him, Hey, you don't have to listen to me. You can come out and sometimes get away with it. Yeah. So instead he comes out and I say, Oh bummer. I have to shut your door now because you came out of your room. Mm -hmm. And he says, no mom, please don't. And I'm guilty. i So I was really, really consistent. I would just shut his door and say, you don't get gum in the morning because you came out and I'm shutting your door. But then he cries and I don't like to hear that. So I tell him, (laughs) I have to shut your door. And if you can stay quiet, you can still get your gum in the morning. Gum is the reward at my house. My children love it. And he will say, okay, so then I will shut the door and he won't cry he will go to bed, right? Mm-hmm. Miraculously, with that extra boundary of shutting the door, he goes to bed so much easier, but he hates his door shut. So that's what I use in my home to keep him in his bed. You could do that at the beginning beginning of the night with your three-year-old or in the middle of the night if they get up. It's okay. You got out of your room. I'm going to shut the door to help you stay in your bed so you can get your reward in the morning. Like you're mm. helping them. You're not hurting them
0: oh, I like that. Okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to do it. It's amazing as mothers, sometimes we have the knowledge and we know the things. Like, this all makes sense. Like, I'm like, yeah, uh uh-huh, that sounds reasonable. But just the execution, it's amazing what fatigue and middle-of-the-night brain will do to you to make you not implement, even though I want the outcome. It's crazy.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes, it's so true. And that's like for my parents where they're sneaking into their bed. I'm like, okay, we're, I think one client, we put a bell on her door. Oh my gosh. And I was like, (laughs) you have to hear your child come in. There's a monitor out there that's called toddler monitor or something. You put it on the toddler's door. And if the door opens, it like sets a alert off on your phone. Uh So there's things out there to help you. But yeah, you have to wake up enough to do it and remember. And I will say that all of my clients that work with me and have that Kind of day to day support. They, I have yet to say a client tell, a cl- have a client tell me. I don't know if that was really worth it because having someone that you're accountable to, to say to follow through to is mm-hmm. so so valuable in the process.
0: Well, and like you said, it's worth a little bit of lost sleep for a few nights doing this new routine versus long term months on end of the same thing that's not working for you. So it's easy to say, oh, that would never work for my child because X, Y, or Z. But is what's going on currently working? If not, why not try something new? I'm totally willing to try this.
1: Yes, I love that. And I also love that the question you asked, is what you're doing working for you? Yeah. Because sometimes it is. Sometimes in our society we have, oh, what sleep should look like. And I'm not a co-sleeping parent. I just – I can't sleep with my children. Like I don't know how people do it, but I always am like, that's amazing. I would have co-slept with my twins if I could have because – I just needed sleep so bad but it wouldn't have helped me. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of parents that I talk to and they're like, Oh, you don't want to talk to me because I co sleep and I'm like, Well, does it work for you? Is your child getting enough sleep? And if it does work, then don't change it. Yeah. You will get to a point where that won't work anymore. Whether right. your child, you know, is six months a year, three years, five years, ten years. Like at some point it's not gonna work anymore and that's where I'm there to help and support families create the change that they now need.
0: Yeah, I met a mom at the playground one day, and her six-year-old came up and started nursing on her. And I thought, huh, must must be working for you, you know? Like at first, I was a little bit judgy, but I'm like, well, if it works, I guess that's fine, you know? It's not what I would do. So yeah, you really just do what works for you, and and <laughs> leave the rest behind. It was still an uh, interesting, still an interesting visual, but that's all right. That's all right. Okay, so I'm sure there's a few myths out there that we just want to clarify. So just tell me kind of true or false. So if I put my child or my baby to sleep later, they will sleep later.
1: Is that true? False. That is false okay. most of the time. I mean, yes. sometimes I can put my four-year-old to bed like three hours later, later and he'll sleep like 30 minutes later. So I guess that might count. But you have to see that obviously he's not sleeping. He's not making up a difference. So yeah. oftentimes – with children, and this is another one where parents push me, and they're like, I don't think so. He's only ever slept X amount of hours a night. If I put him down earlier, he's going to wake up that much earlier, and they're just shocked when we put him down 30 minutes earlier and he sleeps 30 minutes longer.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and even my pediatrician recently, I mean, my son, now that he's given my three-year-old, who now that he's given up naps, he wants to go to bed at like 6.30, and she's like, oh, well, if he's waking up early, he needs to go to bed much later. And I'm like... Really? Like, he's tired. He's asking to go to bed and he goes down easily. What would you say?
1: Yeah, tell me what time he's waking up.
0: So, this is the one that's, you know, waking up at 4 a.m. and he thinks he's done, but then he'll go back to sleep until 6. But right now, he's climbing in bed with me. But we could, but we're going to work on this, Marietta.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So. I try to get a solid twelve hours for my three-year-old. Okay. So if he is waking up at six in the morning, I would challenge you to put him down at six p.m. Really? At night, which sounds early and sounds ridiculous, and I get it. Um, and okay. he might still wake at six. But what you might notice is that even if he goes to bed at six and then he wakes at six, um, he might he might not wake up at four to come into your bed. Okay. Or um, maybe he'll sleep in a little bit and, if, and then the next morning if he wakes up at 615 You could do bedtime at 615, but I would shoot for like 12 hours of a sleep time and see how that changes his behavior or see what he does
0: Okay, I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna try that I that didn't sit well with me when she said that and so That kind of goes against what we were just talking about. So interesting see yeah, I think some of this knowledge is just outdated you know and it's like often it's the the mothers and the grandmothers that are saying oh yeah put them to bed later and then that will yield a certain product
1: okay oh, for sure and i wish that i wish that there was i wish that pediatricians had better knowledge about sleep i don't want to like you know <sighs> talk critical of them at all because they have so many great things that they do do. And there are some great pediatricians out there that have great sleep advice, but sometimes I hear things and even my own pediatricians and I'm like, no, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Right. And that's where you go with your gut. If it doesn't sound like that's a fit, like do a little bit more research and see if, you know, if, if if there's anything else that works a little better for you. Yes. Yeah. And then the other thing is for babies that are napping during the day it, it, can there ever be too much napping? So let's say they're still on the, you know, two or three naps a day phase of life. Oh, what a beautiful phase of life that is. Um, should we be waking them up at a certain time? Is can, can they nap too much and then have that affect their sleep at night?
1: Oh, definitely. Because it's super easy, especially obviously when, when it, well, maybe I won't say obviously, but when a newborn is born, they have their night, nights and days mixed up. They're used to sleeping during the day and they're used to being awake at night. And so they come into this world like that. Now, once they get into about three naps, which happens somewhere between four and five months, um, for the most part, they have their nights and days figured out, but occasionally there's still a little bit of mixed up and you'll see a child who can sleep, you know, three hours, in one nap, and I that always makes me nervous. And if your child is sleeping well at night, I generally don't have a problem with that, but typically I'll get a client that says, okay, my baby's um, nighttime sleep is awful, and they'll describe it to me, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds awful. What does daytime sleep look like? Oh yeah, he's great during the day. He'll take two, three-hour naps, and I'm like, okay, so listen to what you're telling me. He is getting a ton of sleep during the day and not enough at night. So my general rule that I follow um, and again, I love working on one, one-on-one with clients because we get to be a little bit more flexible, but my general rule is um, for three naps or two naps, well, we'll stick with three naps. For three naps, I like nap time to be, total nap time to be about three and a half hours. And I don't like any one nap to go longer than two hours. Um, if you are on two naps, I like it to be closer to three hours total, three, three to three and a half, sure. And then same rule, one nap no longer than two hours.
0: Okay. Those are great rules of thumb. Awesome. My first napped way too much and we had perpetual nighttime sleep issues. And I thought we were doing a good job because he went down fine at night. And so I never suspected that the daytime nap was a problem because otherwise, to me, it would have been harder to get him to sleep at night. But then he was waking up all the time. It's all making sense. If I could go back eight years, I would. (laughs) But we're all fine now. And that's the thing for all the moms listening that are like, oh, I'm doing this wrong or I'm, you know, they feel they're beating themselves up. Don't. Don't. Like, you're still alive. They're still alive. It's fine. But but learn. But learn from this and maybe try something new that might work better for you.
1: Oh, yeah. And I love how yeah. you said, you know, eight years later, we're all fine and it doesn't matter. Not to say that you have to, like, suffer through sleep. I think there's a lot of solutions out there. Mm-hmm. But... There's, It's gonna be okay, and there's nothing that you can't come back from, right? There's always hope. There's always hope. There
0: is. Okay, so for people that need more hope, they need you on their team. <laughs> tell me a little bit about where we can find you, what services you offered families, and all that.
1: Awesome. okay, so I am I'm on Facebook, um, I'm on Instagram, my handles at Us. And I obviously think the information I'm providing on there is super helpful. Um, I'm doing a Binky series right now, and I do a nap highlight series and a nighttime highlight series and lots of different fun things going on over there. I also do a free Q&A every single week. So if you ever have a question, you can hop over to Instagram or Facebook. You can submit a question at any time. I jump on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Mountain Time and answer as many questions as I can. I jump on for 30 minutes and answer as many questions as I can. And then um, you can, you know, submit as many times as you want. There's no limit there. Mm. I also do, I do a free call to discuss packages if you're interested in working together. You can go to my website, littledreamers.us, and check out my packages. You can schedule a call to discuss any of them. Um, I have a, a varying degree of packages. So I have packages that are more of ask your questions, you know, get some answers and do it yourself, all the way up to... I'm going to be there with you, guiding your hand, writing a custom sleep plan for you, two weeks of support, understanding kind of everything that's important to you and your values and working working that into, into your sleep plan. So lots of variety there to kind of give the help that everybody everybody needs.
0: Okay. I'm sending this all to my sister-in-law right now who has a one-year-old and sleep is a major thing in their house right now and I remember those days. So I am so grateful that you've been willing to share not only your sleep tips but your motherhood journey um, I just love your approach so much and I just think you're extraordinary. You're helping so many
1: moms, Marietta. Oh, you're so sweet. I that's the best part of my job. I love. I just love I love connecting and helping other moms. It's the
0: best. Amazing. Well, as you know, as a listener, I always ask my guests one final question and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self?
1: Yes, and I've been thinking about this question oh, actually good. because You know, my biggest challenge as, as a mother so far has been sleep. Um, but I don't know that I would go back and give myself the answers because it was through that challenge that I have learned and found this great passion of mine that has given me so much purpose and has given me my, my theme to work on and grow while I'm a mother. Um, So I don't know that I'd give myself that advice, but what I would give myself advice for is more of kind of what I talked about at the beginning of, you know, motherhood is awesome and you're going to love it and you're going to love your kids more than you can imagine. And you're going to hurt for them more than you thought possible. And you're going to grow with them. And, and motherhood isn't everything. And that's okay. Mm. And it's okay to have things outside of this. And it doesn't mean that you have to choose being a good mom or taking care of yourself, that I get to do both of those things together. And I wish, I guess, I would have found that a little bit earlier in my motherhood journey.
0: Mm. And I've noticed throughout this whole conversation, you've been really intentional about using the word and... You know, I'm sleep deprived and this and, you know, I love being a mom and I get fulfillment in other places. So realizing that those things can live in conjunction with one another and that doesn't need to be exclusive one or the other. And you need to feel guilt if you're not on the right side of the track because you
1: thought that's what you should be doing, right? Yes. And I yeah. am very intentional about using and instead yeah. of but because – because I do. I mean, it's a simple word, but our words have power. And so when I say, I love my children.
0: And but but they drive me crazy.
1: I, yeah, <laughs> and they drive me crazy. Exactly. And those don't have to be in, in yes. opposition. That both of those things can exist at the same time. And that's okay.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're so good. Okay. I can't wait for everyone to check you out and get help with their sleep. This has been so encouraging to me. I have some stuff I'm gonna work on in this next week and I am really excited. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: You're very welcome and I wanna hear how it goes. So make sure you reach out and tell me how your sleep is going. I will for sure,
0: I will for sure. Thank you so much Marietta, have the best day. You too, thanks Jessica. Wasn't that such fabulous information from Marietta? I know this isn't a topic that is necessary for everybody in the stage of life, depending upon what season you're in right this second, but I can't help but think by just knowing better, the next time a friend comes to you with their sleep issues, you might be able to give them a little bit of wisdom that you learned from Marietta today, even if you're not in the sleep training phase of life, right? So... You never know when you can be a resource. Thank you so, so much, Marietta. I hope everyone will check out all of her amazing resources. Those are all linked over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. And you can also see cute pictures of her family over there on the website. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Jessica at 3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Coming up next week, we have a fantastic episode. And it really ties into an episode I did, I think it was about a year ago. So I used to take Extraordinary Mom of the Month nominations where you would nominate a mom and I'd pick a winner and then I would do a last minute interview, scramble, scramble, scramble. That's why I stopped doing it. Um, But it was just such a wonderful way to get to know new moms that were not on my radar. And Amy Jackson nominated the birth mom of her daughter who she adopted. And so Courtney was on several months or a year ago. I'll have to look it up and I'll link to it in the show notes for her episode, But today I'm hearing Amy's perspective. Amy is an extraordinary mom. We're talking about infertility. We're talking about adoption. We're talking about her side of the story in her Courtney love saga. (laughs) And it is just so amazing. I hope you're subscribed to the podcast. You never miss an episode. Again, if you can subscribe, if you can leave reviews, if you can share the show, if you're loving it, that is the best way to give back to this podcast. Um, you know, podcasts are a great resource that are free, and I think all the time. Gosh, I'm getting so much content and so much inspiration from these free audio courses, essentially. And I know for myself, I am so, so happy to put these together for you as I know other podcasters find that same enjoyment. But it really does give us life and it just motivates us so much when we see that you listening out there are loving it, enjoying it, and you are sharing it. The best way that you can say thank you is to share. So sharing is caring as Allison always says, right? Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today, everybody. We'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.